Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Devil Details, episode four. We're a podcast dedicated to the Apple TV Plus series Blackbird. I am Sarah. And I'm Kristen. And before we get really into anything today, we just wanted to say thank you to everyone who is listening right now and everyone who has listened up until this point. It's amazing. We appreciate you guys so much. Yes, thank you guys. Yeah, just thank you for downloading. Thank you for listening. The we we had no idea how far the show would get and how the response was going to be and it's just been mind-blowing. The listenership yeah. has really gotten behind us and it's it's a lot bigger than we thought it was going to be. It's us excited to record each episode for you guys and excited. work behind the scenes on getting some fun guests for you. Yes, um, it's yes. making it really exciting. We look forward to doing it every week. So thank you yeah. guys. I mean, yeah, I we just set out to do it as just kind of a fun thing. Like mm-hmm. Kristen and I, we're going to watch the show already and going to want to talk about it constantly and bother our friends and family <laughs> about it. And so instead of doing that, we're doing this podcast and, you know, bothering our friends and family to listen <laughs> to the podcast instead of yes. uh, having to talk to us about it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we just wanted to open up a conversation with other people who are watching the show and just have fun. And it it just has turned into this legitimate mm-hmm. thing. And we've been able to talk to such amazing people yes. who are involved in the show. <laughs> Unbelievably amazing people. Each time it's like, wow, this yeah. is for real. And it, yeah. And speaking of amazing guests, we have a huge one for you today. We just hung up the phone with her. She is amazing. We have Natalie Kingston, cinematographer extraordinaire, uh, director of photography for Blackbird, and she came and joined us. So we're going to get into our talk with her a little bit later. Uh, But before we get to that, we have to talk about this episode. Episode four. We thought three was intense. Yeah. It just keeps getting better and better, I think. Um, Do you have an episode description? Yes. Episode four is called What's Her Name? And it's in the aftermath of a prison riot, Jimmy and Larry find themselves with time to learn more about each other. Boy, do they. I love the descriptions. They're so vague. I mean, they don't want to spoil anything because the descriptions are out before the episode comes out. But yeah, so overall, I mean, the show overall is so dense. But this episode was really dense with story and intensity. And yes, a lot of dialogue. Lots of dialogue. And yeah, and I think that really episode three and four especially have really just brought a lot of stuff to the table. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of um, backstory too, like a lot of yeah, this is a backstory why they episode. are they are type of a thing. But we'll get into all of that. Yeah, for sure. Before we start our deep, deep dive though, <laughs> we are missing some people from this episode. There is no... Yes. Macaulay and Miller scenes in this episode no. at all. And no. uh, and Ray Liotta doesn't make an appearance in this one no, either. It's just Larry and I really missed, uh, uh, I was looking forward to more Greg Kinnear, like one-line yeah, zingers one-liners. that he had and there was nothing. But don't forget, we did have Joe Williamson in this episode. We did. Yeah. And he makes up for it. He has some really good lines in this episode too. It's really, <laughs> it's that, fun. But, his yeah. Oh my goodness. I love watching his character. Um, <laughs> yes. I know you're not supposed to like him, but you do. You're not supposed to. But we, I mean, we're, we're the presidents of his fan club, right? Of right. course we like Joe. <laughs> but no, we love to hate his character. He's awesome. If you haven't listened to our interview with Joe, it's in uh, episode three. Yeah. So make sure you we'll listen to We'll just plug that. our other episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Go back and listen to that one. Selfish plug. Yeah. So no, no big Jim and Jimmy. Although 
there's some flashback scenes and so that the presence of big jim is here just in the form of christopher backus who plays the young version of big jim yes and christopher backus fun fact was in an episode of mindhunter which i thought was very cool because blackbird has kind of been compared to Mindhunter and yes. all like the reviews and how people are receiving it. They're like, if you like Mindhunter, you'll like Blackbird. So <laughs> that was cool that there's like this direct connection. Yeah. Oh, he's in Big Little Lies too. Oh, look at that. That's where that name sounded familiar and why he looked so familiar. Yes. Yeah, he did. Yeah. I was like, I know this guy. Oh, he's been in a lot. Oh, he's been in the OC. <laughs> the OC? Yeah. <laughs> One episode of the OC. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's there's a lot of bird imagery in this mm-hmm. episode too, which we I don't think we've really seen up until this point. Um, but it really is bringing in the whole blackbird theme. Yes. I don't know if I just wasn't paying enough attention to it or if this is like the first time we were seeing a lot of bird I don't stuff. recall seeing the only thing maybe there was some blackbirds is in the cornfield in the very first episode. Oh, maybe. But I don't remember exactly if there were or not. But this one I definitely remember seeing a bird in multiple scenes yeah lots of lots of bird stuff yeah we'll talk about that and then there's also this episode is so messy and gory i mean particularly (sighs) the one scene yes so yeah um do you want to just get right into it let's jump in start talking about it right at the beginning we are in a funeral home and uh, there's a corpse being prepped for burial Yes, and we don't know we don't know who it is. Who it is? <laughs> and we, I was like, we is this Big Jim? Is this right? Is it supposed Larry to be? Dad? Is it somebody like it? I was that was running through my head. Yeah, but ultimately we figure out it's is no one we know. It's no. somebody who is just being buried, um, and then we see they're outside during the burial, and there's um, Robert Hall is standing mm. there, and he's dug the grave for this casket. It's kind of like lurking in the background. Yeah. Kind of creepily. <laughs> right. Um, and then he goes and he wakes up young Larry mm-hmm. and pulls pulls him out of bed. They're going somewhere. I noted like that scene, it kind of like jumps from him digging the grave to Larry in sleeping in prison and then back to waking him up. Yeah, yeah. And that transition was so smooth. Yeah. The it was mu- very and then cool. the music playing when you're you're looking at current Larry, his face and the music like yeah, crescendos right there. And you're like, it Ooh. also happens because we also see a younger version of of Jimmy and mm-hmm. of Big Jim. And Big Jim wakes up Jimmy to go take him to the park to go play football. And it's this really cute, yeah. you know, father-son moment. And they're talking about when Jimmy one day makes it to the NFL, he's going to buy his dad a, mm-hmm. a gremlin, even though his yeah. dad wants a Corvette. Um, but then that that scene also cuts to Jimmy. And yes. so it, I think in both of these scenes, it's like they're sort of daydreaming about, you know, mm-hmm. going or well, I guess Larry would be normal night dreaming. I don't know. He's laying in bed, but yeah. they're both flashing back onto these moments in their childhood. And it kind of shows the difference, like the juxtaposition. I can never say that word. The difference between kind of Larry's childhood with his dad and the type of childhood Jimmy had with his ja- dad, where this one was so almost wholesome. Like Jimmy yeah. had like the typical, you know, play at, catch. At first, anyway. If, yeah, what you're assuming at this point. And then Larry's is much more dark you know, and dark and there's like some abuse kind yeah of going there's on. not like it's not a wholesome playing catch outside playing you know that kind of stuff it was more yeah dark and uh yeah and we'll keep seeing that kind of go 
go back and forth. Mm-hmm. But after Jimmy's part of that scene, we see Jimmy sneaking into Larry's cell. It's intense. <laughs> yeah, he's doing like a, an investigation. He's mm-hmm. looking around. He he kind of inspects the pictures on the wall more closely than he has been able to before. He is looking at like these books that are on his desk. And there's, did you see on his desk, there's like these little army figurines and then there's a jar with it looked like teeth. a heart or a heart. It looked, it was, yeah. It looked like a red, like there was something red in it. Yeah, I think it and was I, like it looked like a heart dentures or something. Yeah, it was weird. There was, oh, I, don't, I don't know what that was about. I'm like, does Larry wear dentures? I don't remember I that. I felt very nervous during that scene. And I don't know if it was the music or the way Taryn was playing it or just not knowing what was coming. But I, my heart was beating really fast. I have in my yeah, notes, oh my like gosh, any, hurry up. could have happened. <laughs> yeah. Anything could have happened at that point. And so it was. Like I was yelling at him, like hurry, hurry! Yeah, this is not the time Get to read a there. book. Get out of there! Yeah, he like flips through pages yeah. of a book. I'm like, do you have time for this, sir? <laughs> I noticed like he was very like cautious the way he took the book out and put it yeah. back. Yeah, it's so careful to make sure that nothing is like out of place. He doesn't want yeah. to arouse suspicion. He's very thoughtful about that. But we have to talk. I mean, he finds this magazine. There's a stack of magazines on the floor, mm-hmm. and he like car magazines. Yeah, but he finds this penthouse magazine, and it's it's thicker than a normal mm-hmm. magazine. It's, like, stuffed full with things, and so that makes Jimmy curious, and he opens yes. it up, and there's these disgusting, like, really violent, like crude drawings of, mm-hmm. of women, and, and they're, like, bloodied and the, yeah. no clothes on, and just, like, horrible hand-drawn mm-hmm. pictures and writing. Yeah. And then, like... Drawings on magazine photos. Yeah. Like and like, eyes cut out. Yeah. Or blacked yeah. out. Yeah. Very, very creepy. Very uh, deep insight into uh, Larry's yeah. character, I think, here. And, and kind of is making things click for Jimmy in mm-hmm. his head. And then also while he was doing that, I was like, okay, you got the you got the point. Yeah. You, got, you <laughs> yeah. saw a couple. You can close it really quickly. Get out. Get out. Get out. Yeah. And he just keeps flipping through. You're like, this, mm-hmm. this is taking too long. It's building the suspense. He's going to show up. He's going to show up. Right. Or somebody is. Yeah. Which brings us to the next part yes. of this scene where, uh, where when Jimmy steps out of Larry's cell, he spies somebody in his cell. We have a C.L. Carter watch. Fucking guy is the gift that keeps on giving, huh? Carter is in Jimmy's cell wondering where he's been. And yeah, like... <laughs> hey, bud. Hey, bud. Hey, bud. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> but it kind of is startling when you see him in there because you're not expecting somebody to be in there. Yeah. And Jimmy's freaked out, of course. Yeah, like, oh, no, he saw me. Yeah. and uh, But yeah, so he talks to Carter and Carter's like, so there's no money. There's and nothing's nothing's happening. Um, we don't figure out what this emergency was that Carter had at the end of the no. last episode. No. This guy is totally a mystery. He bruise on his face. Yeah. It's like, he's, not, he's not bandaged up, but he's still kind of roughed up. And uh, God, this scene, like when he when he tells Jimmy to come into the cell and he's like, oh, sorry for blocking your door. And he doesn't <laughs> actually get out of the way yeah he just kind of steps to the side and gives jimmy a sliver of an opening to get in the cell and then shuts them both in the cell together yeah that made me nervous (laughs) yeah i mean he's really taking this like sort of power trip like yeah i have this power over this guy and you can feel the 
the tensions that you can definitely feel the tension, but you can feel like the claustrophobicness of it all. Yeah. Like when you hear our conversation with Natalie, you'll kind of hear about this, but how it feels like you're in the cell with them. Right. And, and it's, yeah, you very... feel like you're in this tight space with them. And it, re- it, gr- it gives this feeling of like being trapped, which is, mm-hmm. you know, what jail does, you know, mm-hmm. you feel trapped, you're imprisoned and, and that really, that claustrophobic feeling yeah and carter is using that to his advantage for sure (laughs) yeah but it almost comes across as kind of nice like i mean he's not i mean he's being he's using a power trip but it's not like he didn't hit him or well he did though yeah (laughs) at the end when he is walking out he slaps jimmy's arm real hard yeah like but But it wasn't like brutal it wasn't like a yeah it was almost like well if i believe you i guess i have to yeah and and you wonder i'm so he's carter is such a mystery to me still and i'm wondering (laughs) how the rest of this show is going to play out with him because he he does it's it seems almost like he's just letting it go like oh i can't get any from you i guess that's it but i mean he's still there's still something there's something like he's gonna get vindictive or yeah something's gonna happen there it can't just not resolve but yeah he just walks away like it's you know i guess that's that not without uh raising his eyebrows in a very funny manner the great the eyebrow raise yeah from the trailer yes (laughs) that's what first got us suspicious of carter in the first place was this little this look this eyebrow raise Mm -hmm. the eyebrow thing (laughs) yeah that was a good one so yeah Still on, still on Carter watch. Yes. This guy's still a mystery. We're still wondering what's going on with how that's all going to play out with Jimmy and Carter. Then uh, Larry's back. Mm-hmm. And this is a big sort of uh, one-on-one scene with Larry yes. and Jimmy. They're standing outside their cells and talking about how quiet it is. Larry calls yes. it the riot quiet. Yes. It's like a calm, calm before, the, before storm. the storm. Oh, that was funny. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a... Yeah, this like ominous warning. Like mm-hmm. Larry's, Larry knows that something's about to happen. Yes, but first he he's getting suspicious of Jimmy now. Yeah, this is the was... first little moment where he's like, mm-hmm. "What what is Jimmy's deal, and why is he so interested in me?" And he he starts questioning. Did you questioning see somebody Jimmy. in my in my space? Or and then Jimmy's like, "Well, did, is something missing? You know, why would yeah. it be missing?" Right. There's a quick flashback sequence in this part where um, we see young Larry um, mm-hmm. and his father at night and they're going back to this fresh grave that mm-hmm. his father had dug earlier and Larry starts digging it out again. But this is when Larry says that line from the trailer. Why are you looking at me like that? I'm not looking at you anyway. Like you know me. Yes. <laughs> Jimmy's response. Larry, what the fuck? First of all, it's about time someone said that. Yes. (laughs) What the fuck, Larry? Yeah. (laughs) Like, duh, I know you. (laughs) What the fuck? It's a a great line delivery. (laughs) There were some good lines in this Yeah, I was laughing at some point. Yeah. Some I probably shouldn't have been laughing, but they made me chuckle. Right. It's it's an uncomfortable laugh at times, but there's some there's some fun moments. And uh Larry's on to Jimmy. He's like, why yeah. are you asking me so many questions? And Jimmy just kind of storms off. He's like, I'm not yeah. doing this with you. I what are you when uh, Larry says, you're asking me, you, all you do is ask questions. 
and Jimmy asks another question and he goes, there yeah. you go again. That's a question. That's, that's a question. <laughs> yeah. Paul was like brilliantly creepy in that so moment. So creepy. Like, he, he like, when he talks, he like gasps in between words mm-hmm. and like in awkward moments that just yeah. kind of add to this creepiness. Mm-hmm. And then like he doesn't make eye contact, so it makes it even more creepy. And then when yeah. he was, he does that whisper talk. Yeah, just so that barely you above really, a whisper. You know, you have to really listen to him. And then when he's leaning against the, the cell wall. And he's talking and he just kind of puts his face into the wall. I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah, just crazy, like weird. Give him all of the awards. Yeah. But yeah, D- Larry uh, follows Jimmy out into the yard and yes. and they are talking and Larry sort of says how he gets paranoid sometimes. Mm-hmm. But then he starts talking again about how something's about to happen. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a vibe through the prison yeah. and Larry's like, there's something bad's going to happen. And I think at this point, also, <laughs> C.O. Carter is in the in guard the, tower. Yeah. They don't show him, but I'm pretty sure that, that I think him it's him. There. It's yeah. It, yeah, it's a very far away shot, but I'm pretty sure yeah. that's him up in the tower there, which which makes sense because after the the whole riot, Carter gets off unscathed. Nothing yes. happens to him, so I think being up in that tower probably saved him from yes. that. <laughs> but yeah, so Larry rightfully predicts this huge prison riot yeah. that breaks out. It is brutal i gasped and then i don't think i breathed the entire i don't even know how long it was because i was so glued to this screen yeah so much happens it's it's wild there's it's hard to keep i mean up. yeah people are getting stabbed there's i mean people are getting their throats cut yeah. and guards and like are getting beaten guards, and yeah yeah they're like dumping food and water like, like boiling water boiling, onto yeah. people it's wild throwing tvs Throwing TVs, throwing <laughs> someone out of their wheelchair yeah. and like breaking the wheelchair. Yeah. At, at one point, there's like in the hallway, there's like some gas or something and yeah, people are leaks. Yeah. So they can't breathe. Everyone's like covering their faces yeah. because there's some gas leak or something that's happening. And I mean, people are breaking the lights and yeah, it's it's wild. And then people are like bleeding from the their abdomen and like running through the hallway yeah and bleeding through from the mouth and there's just like bodies everywhere once and you don't know who's an inmate and who's a guard and yeah everyone got hit but it was beautifully shot it's it it was oh it was wild and it it almost Mm -hmm. seems like it it wrapped up as soon as it started too Mm -hmm. like you were in it and it felt like a long time and then once it was over it felt like it didn't yeah, it was over. It didn't happen yeah. almost. And Jimmy and Larry got off. Cuts to them in like in their cell. Yeah, they they're unscathed and nothing happened to them. It, it was funny when when Larry was going back to his cell, like someone kind of run by him and he gave this yeah. little like yelp yeah. noise. <laughs> I was like, ah! yeah. yeah, like how did they escape that? I know they nothing happened I guess to them. They were outside. Maybe I, like maybe that's we assume that they stayed out in the yard during that. And so it happened with others that were inside. Right. But everyone, yeah, everyone's screaming for a lockdown and they're in their cells. And the the end of the riot, there's like these still shots that they show of like the mess and the blood Mm -hmm. and everything everywhere. There's food everywhere. There's like just all kinds of junk and broken stuff and bodies, people like twitching from being stabbed. Craziness. And the music during it, oh, just was, I can't, this episode, the music was like, 
top notch the whole time. Yeah, the the music in this series is fantastic. Mm-hmm. So when Larry and Jimmy en- end up back in their cells for the lockdown after this riot, they uh, they they get to talking to each other, and Larry <laughs> Larry wants to confirm that they're still friends <laughs> yes. after their like little spat where Jimmy stormed off, and uh, and Jimmy sort of almost reluctantly ag- agrees to be friends yeah. again. But he does it doesn't come across that way to Larry necessarily, but it, on, on his face, you can kind of tell like yeah. I mean, I have to be friends with this guy, so I guess so. But you can kind of hear, too, the desperation in Larry's voice of him desperately wanting a friend. Like yeah. Like, he's craving that type of relationship. Yeah, he absolutely wants to be friends with Jimmy. Mm-hmm. And then he says he says that he takes care of his friends and yes. that just cues this creepy serial killer laugh. Uh-huh. Stereotypical. Like lays back. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah so larry and jimmy and some other inmates and some guards we Mm -hmm. see co holt and co carter stroll into this very messy mess hall yes everything is a disaster Mm -hmm. in here um, and Larry sort of takes charge and yeah. sends these guys to work. He, well, well, first he asks for hoses. Yes. And that, like C.O. Carter, he, he uh, I can't remember what he said exactly, but virtually he was just like, fuck, no, no you can't have hoses. <laughs> you You're are not getting a hose. Yeah. Work with what you got. Yeah. But I like that Larry kind of took ownership of the cleaning. Like it was his leadership role and he was a totally different person during that moment because like he was confident he spoke clear he was you know telling people where to go and what they needed to do and yeah it was a total opposite of what he is all the other times so yeah that was interesting like that was his comfort yeah this, he's in his element here mm-hmm. and then there's this kind of funny like fast forward scene of them like cleaning up and yeah. picking things up and and larry sort of there's like a voiceover of him mm-hmm. giving them instructions yeah. like like hey guys i like he, he says at one point gentlemen we there's some cups at the front yeah <laughs> he's, like he's really yeah. owning this like mm-hmm. little bit of leadership that's been afforded to him yeah um th- then comes some more one-on-one stuff between jimmy and larry while they're cleaning and there's this very interesting spray bottle choreography that's yeah. going well, on right before that was they uh, he said we oh we need putty knives oh yeah we need putty knives. They ain't giving us putty knives. <laughs> they wouldn't give us hoses. You think they're going right. to give us knives? Right. No way, man. But the way he says it was like, we need putty knives. <laughs> like, obviously, we need those. Obviously, we need putty knives. Yes. They ain't giving us no putty knives. I think yeah. Taryn's accent in this episode almost dropped into like a New York accent yes. a little bit. There was like New York and Chicago mixed together. Yeah. Which they kind of... They could kind of blend a little bit. Yeah. It just it felt very New York on this one. Yes. Like, they ain't giving us no putty knives. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, neither one of them have ever used a spray bottle before. No, I feel like. clearly not. <laughs> I, I, don't I don't know, know if, if that was because they were pretending or they just have never yeah. had to use one because it was <laughs> very awkward. Right. And they're they're spraying random things and they're they're squeezing it like 30 times, mm-hmm. like short little squeezes. And not even on the table. They're just like spraying it in the air. Yeah. <laughs> like this is not how cleaning works. No. And they're just kind of like sitting there and then okay, like what during while they're talking, they'll be like they'll just spray like the side of yeah. the table randomly. 
it's just very interesting. It <laughs> Clearly, neither neither of them have ever deep cleaned anything. <laughs> do they even know what these chemicals do? Yeah, Larry is supposed to be a pro a pro cleaner. What's going on? Yeah. Um, but so th- they start talking about their childhood, kind of, and and sharing about how, uh, like, Larry talks about how Wabash was this innocent place, and I, I loved how. <laughs> He says that there was no, there was no weed at his high yeah. school. Like Jimmy said that he sold weed to to make money in high school, yeah. um, which is true. That's what Jimmy did. That's how yes. he first got into selling drugs, and then he yeah. realized that cocaine could get him a hell of a lot more money. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, they uh, and Jimmy tells Larry like, "You went to high school in America? Yeah, there right. was weed there. I promise." But I like that it showed Larry's being naive, and because I was that kid in high school, like. I mean, I knew that that happened, but I wasn't really around it. Yeah. So, you, you know, you kind of are blind to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I liked the the comment that Wabash was like the town where Opie lived. Yes. Which, for those people who are um, under the age of 50, the yes. <laughs> Opie is, we're not over the age of 50, but no. I, I know what, what Opie is. Um, he was there was a used to be a thing called uh, TV Land, Nick at Night. Yes. But they used so to replay Opie, these a lot. Opie's a character in a show from, what, the 60s, I think? The Andy Griffith show was? Probably the 60s. Yeah. Um, Ron Howard. Yeah, Ron Howard. And he's Opie's just, like, kind of this innocent little boy. And um, mm. the, it's, a, it's, an, it's, a, it's interesting that they mentioned Opie because it, it's a very, like, father-son dynamic in yes. that show. And it's, like, a, a very pure one, too. Mm-hmm. It's very wholesome. It's very – which most shows were back then. But it was mm-hmm. very, you know, Main Street type. Yeah. Which is what Larry was kind of describing, that, you know, wholesome town that he grew up in. Yeah, with candy stores and malt mm-hmm. shops and yeah, 60s vibes, yeah. even though he, he grew says, up in the 70s. Yeah. Um. <laughs> is this when he says, what a world it was, James? What a world yes. it was. <laughs> I like when he refers to him as yeah. James rather than Jimmy. Yeah. The whole this whole episode he says James. Yeah, and I think that's reflective of how it was in the book too. Mm-hmm. Whenever Larry was quoted in the book, he would say James. Yeah. Um for the most part. And um during this whole thing we're seeing some more flashbacks um mm-hmm. when Larry tells Jimmy that he worked in a cemetery or not worked in a cemetery, but well, lived and worked in a cemetery. And there's a flashback to more of young Larry digging this mm-hmm. grave and he's crying even in this point. And yes, I really love the, the way that they handled flashbacks in this show mm-hmm. because it's not, it's not like a typical like narration over right. a flashback. It's not, it's not specifically Larry telling Jimmy about these moments that happen. It's just kind of them sharing about what they remember about how yeah. they feel and then we see the specific moments that are happening and, and it doesn't actually match up exactly to how they're talking and right it's i don't think it's your typical back and forth flashback no. moments from a lot of shows no it was very and the transitions were very smooth and kind of just painted the picture of what mm-hmm. they were talking about more yeah and then Jimmy talks about his dad being his best mm-hmm. friend. So this is another example. It cuts to a younger version of Jimmy, but it's not Jimmy and his dad being best friends. It's right. Jimmy waiting for his dad to come home after leaving for mm-hmm. work and not seeing him and time is going by. And 
hearing his parents fighting. And- yeah, he's like sitting on the stoop mm-hmm. outside his house and his parents are screaming and fighting at each other and just Jimmy's kind of sitting there looking all sad and his yeah. dad storms out past him, doesn't acknowledge him. So that's almost the opposite of what Jimmy was mm-hmm. saying. Yeah. I thought that was interesting how because you weren't sure if he was remembering it differently or if he was trying to relate to Larry yeah, by telling him a little more. And that's kind of how the whole time, the whole scene is going. Yeah. I think it's a combination of both these things. It's, mm-hmm. it's Jimmy sort of opening up, but also trying to be trying to connect. Yes. And yeah. So Jimmy starts talking about football and how he's, he's the best his school had seen in 15 years. And, and Larry tells Jimmy that he reminds him of his brother a lot. Yeah. And, uh, but then something kind of clicks. Yeah. Clicks in his head that maybe he should try and relate more to Larry specifically. Yeah. I have that down. He's as a note, I said it re- he realizes that he needs to relate more to Larry and not Gary. Yeah. So he kind of downplays his football mm-hmm. career after that. He's like, oh, actually, I was just second string. I didn't, yeah, I didn't play and I lied about it. And, he tells Larry that he was it, – it's just kind of something that guys do to impress other guys. Yeah. He, he was just trying to – To make him seem bigger than he actually was and – Yeah. Which I think Larry related to. Like it made mm-hmm. Larry feel more willing to talk because he was like, oh, well, if everybody's lying to me about how great everybody is, maybe more people are like me and I can talk more about it. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, was this the, when he said it makes my gums ache? Yes. That's another good line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you remind me so much of Gary, my gums ache. And then Larry kind of asks Jimmy out of the blue, could you eat a pet chicken? <laughs> it was so random. Yeah. And Jimmy's like, why would you, first of all, why would Who you even a have pet a pet chicken? chicken? Right. That's not a thing that people have. People probably do have pet chickens. They do. They do. It's a thing. Yeah. Jimmy is not convinced. <laughs> no. But maybe he meant like, if you have a pet chicken, it's not going to be food. Yeah. Like, you're not going to be ever be put in that situation where you need to make the decision. Like, if you have a cow and it's a pet cow, it's not going to be dinner. But if you just have cows, it could be dinner. Like, yeah. it's not a pet cow that you're going to eat. Yeah. But Larry... It's all the same to him. Larry's like, right. we're all we're all meat, which yes. is a serial killer line. Absolutely. Right. But he, yeah, it's all meat. He, you know, I would eat my pet dog, he says. And he, yeah, when he says we're all just meat and he like he grabs his arm <laughs> and we're all, we're all just meat, which is terrifying. I didn't realize that there was some cannibalism vibes. Happening. Yeah. When Jimmy asks, well, have you ate your pet dog before? Right. And uh, yeah, so they start. They're they're kind of joking, and mm-hmm. and uh, Larry says, "Well, people eat fish. What's the difference between eating fish and eating a dog?" And Jimmy says, "Nobody plates a puppy." And Larry thought that was hysterical. Yeah, they're like giggling together, mm-hmm. and then Co Carter, Carter. <laughs> who this entire time through this whole scene, Carter is constantly behind Jimmy, and I don't mm-hmm. know if I was like just hyper focused on Co Carter because that's who I am now right but <laughs> he's lurking behind Jimmy and and definitely looking at him specifically yes. just always watching. paying attention yes yeah always always keeping his eye on Jimmy which I mean it's his job he's the CEO right 
But there's a lot of inmates in here. He doesn't yes. need to stare down Jimmy this entire no. time. But I like that he yells out, convicts, this isn't a date. Yeah. <laughs> Stop fucking goofing <laughs> off. <laughs> but it was funny because I was laughing and so was my sister during that play to puppy thing. And as soon as he yelled that, we both stopped laughing immediately. <laughs> like we were being yelled at. <laughs> Theo Carter's yelling at you. Yes. Hey, Kristen, this isn't a date. Hey, convicts, this isn't a date. Do your job and stop fucking goofing off. <laughs> oh, sorry. And there's more flashbacks. There's a lot of flashbacks during the yeah. sequence. It's a very long scene. But young Larry is in the open mm-hmm. opening of the grave. The coffin's open and he's taking off these valuable items the off his body. And- yeah. Anything that could be worth money. The shiny fancy stuff. Yeah. And this is the first time we see a bird. Yes. There's a bird in the tree wa- sort of watching down. And, it startled uh, me. <laughs> Moved. And yeah, and Larry looks up at it. Mm-hmm. Young Larry. Yes. Try, we'll try and specify. Young Larry. Which, by the way, the casting for young Larry was so good. Yeah. He looks just like Paul. He does. He looks like him and he's such a good actor and he yeah. really plays the part really well. It was, it was really fun watching him mm-hmm. and really like watching the start of a serial killer yeah being was, acted he played out. it so well for not really having i don't think he spoke much not not at first i mean we haven't yeah. seen him speak really at all yeah yeah but just to again acting with his eyes and his mannerisms he did for being so young i, don't, I mean i don't know how young he is in real life but i assume under the age of 12 ish and yeah so after that larry is telling jimmy about how he started digging graves um, when he was 14, but he was digging them up before that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so the difference there being. Yes. He basically told Jimmy that he robbed graves when he was a kid. Um, I like that he described like the cat door stop or why do you need a door stop? Right. A solid gold Siamese cat thing. Like you don't need that in the afterlife. Right. With your body decomposing <laughs> underground. I mean, it's kind of a fair point, but also don't rob graves. Yeah, that's... <laughs> it's a symbolic thing a lot of times when people are yeah, buried yeah. with things. This is when I clocked a, a Terran hair watch also. Yep, I did too. Good, good. <laughs> I have it in my notes. <laughs> so his hair in this scene, um, it's it's after... They're kind of almost done cleaning, I yeah, think, at this point. They're like point. mopping? Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of the final thing that you also, do. Also, they've mopping. never mopped before in their life. Yeah. <laughs> The cleaning. Oh, the I mean, cleaning. I've never mopped up after a riot, so I, maybe it's different. But <laughs> I think mopping is generally the same. Yeah. Maybe I don't know. Maybe they were digging into like bloody spots that were really stuck <laughs> in or something. But they were kind of like Just... jamming the mop and like squishing it around. It wasn't. Uh, they they don't have. They they need to keep their day jobs. <laughs> <laughs> they do a good job. Yeah. yeah. At acting. Yes. <laughs> But yeah, Taryn's hair, it's kind yeah. of messy. Parted on the side instead of slicked back. Yeah. It, yeah, it's kind of falling forward. And mm-hmm. I think it's just to show that it's been a long day and they've been working hard and clean. Right. But it's different. It's it is. Different. It looked it. more real. Yeah. Like his actual hair. <clears throat> Obviously, yeah, it's I'm longer. Like, does he so have I... hair gel in this prison? It's always very finely taken care of. Yeah, I don't know if that he uses like... If you can buy hair gel. Yeah, he might be able to get it in like the commissary. Yeah. I don't know if that's something that they can can get. But his hair looked more 
well, it had no product in it in the scene, mm-hmm. but it definitely looked, I don't know, it was hard to tell because it looked more real in this scene, but it also looked lighter. Maybe it's because there was no gel in it. Maybe. And maybe that gel just makes it so much darker. And he hasn't had time to look in the mirror and fix it. Yeah, fix it. Like he probably normally does. Yeah. It was kind of floppy and yeah. fluffy. Yeah. Um, and at, at this point, Larry is full on like talking like a serial killer. Yeah. He is saying that dead people are pleasant to be around. Mm-hmm. He says no matter who you are when you're alive, death evens yeah. everything out. It's, and he said something like it kind of gives him hope. Yeah, like, hope that the afterlife is better something than to look forward to. Yeah. Which we and we've seen the symbolism. There's like a cross hanging on Larry's wall. He's very mm-hmm. religious, which is a true thing. Yes. That at least on the outside, it seemed like Larry Hall was a religious person and mm-hmm. believed in God and all that. And um, this part is very disturbing. I think yeah. <laughs> I, I was I was kind of taken by it because he's talking about this girl who he knew in high school, and mm-hmm. she was she had it all. Yeah. She had it all. She had a lot of potential. And she went to college and ended up dying by, mm-hmm. like, she had an accident. She jumped right. off of a building where she was doing these, like, roof jumping. Yeah. And she fell between two buildings and broke her neck. And, yeah, it, it was very disturbing the way that Larry was talking about it. Like, he was kind of getting a kick out of it. Yeah. Almost. Like, he was, or like, that he, he enjoyed happy. that part of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, Almost like and vindictive, it, something like that, and it and it shows a younger, Larry, not like when he was a kid, but when he was like a young adult. Mm-hmm. So he didn't have his burn sides. Yeah, he just had a mustache, and he was burying this casket that was, I guess, representing this young mm-hmm. woman, and uh, it was very disturbing. <laughs> I, I was yeah. I was kind of skeeved out by the whole thing. Yeah, it was. Those are the scenes where they're so intense that it's difficult to watch but you can't stop watching Mm -hmm. yeah i mean mostly just the dialogue at that point but then it also cuts to young larry again having to cut off the corpse's finger Mm -hmm. to get the wedding ring off so just all of that was happening yeah all together so it was really like the sounds yeah Yeah, i did not like that i had to kind of look away right it didn't actually show anything until the finger was already off. But yeah. It was. You could hear it. And it that was enough for me. It was. Yeah. It was disturbing. That mixed in with the words and everything going on was just a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was. It was rough. Um, and then. Yeah. And Larry's dad is kicking dirt on him, too, mm-hmm. at this point. And. Yeah. So Larry's flat out not having a good time. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So now the mess hall is clean. They're eating food. Yep. They're eating probably dinner as it's yes. probably taken them all day to do this. Larry is eating bread in a semi-normal way this yep. time. Oh, not completely. Not it's completely, but kind of less in the middle and more yeah. on the side. He doesn't take a bite out of a just a plain piece of bread in the middle mm-hmm. of it. But they are also eating green apples. Yes. Green apples are hugely symbolic in in media and i i i think about green apples every time i see a green apple it makes me think because they it's definitely a deliberate choice to have them eating green apples in this scene and i've i look out for green apples in movies and other forms of art you see them the biggest example that i can come up with off the top of my head was um draco malfoy in harry potter the third one he's eating a green apple 
Also in Pirates of the Caribbean, Captain Barbosa eats green apples. And then in Deadpool, the main antagonist in Deadpool, Ajax or Francis, um, he eats a green apple. And so it's a big thing. It's a, a very deliberate sort of movie trope that happens a lot. And a lot of times it's the villains in things that are eating green apples. You just said that. Yeah, I because you, if you even watch old Disney movies, all the villains have green around them at some point yeah like i've i've read that before that all villains have like a green aura almost right yeah and apples yeah apples and disney are a thing mm-hmm. yeah i can talk about that too but and, and, and it's they're used to display a sense of like confidence and arrogance which is why a lot of villains are doing it and the sound of someone eating an apple it's such a distinct sound mm-hmm. and it's meant to draw attention to that character so they, they, you know, they want that attention. And also on top of that, green apples also represent like children or like succession and mm-hmm. children and following in parents' footsteps because it's like the apple doesn't fall far right. from the tree, that kind of thing. And the green color represents like a youthfulness and innocence in that respect. Hmm. Um so like on the other side of that, like if you see a red apple, it's usually symbolizing like sex. Or if you think about like the Adam and Eve story, like the original right. sin, it, that's what a red apple would represent. Like, for example, in Snow White or right. even in Twilight, there's like red apple references. But they're eating green apples in Blackbird. Both Larry and Jimmy are eating a green apple. And um, oh, and also green apples are like a sour, more sour mm-hmm. apple. And so it's usually the dirtier, more sour characters that are eating them. So. Interesting. And they were taking like serious, but they weren't doing TV bites of those yeah. apples. They were, they, were, they were going to town on these apples. Yeah, so it's, it's definitely deliberate. And I think it mainly with these guys, I mean, neither of them are very, you know, for, like straightforward good guys, of course. But I, I think it it really speaks to the daddy issues of the whole thing Mm -hmm. and that's what a lot of this episode is showing us is is their relationship with their fathers Mm -hmm. so yeah it has to be deliberate (laughs) yeah i would assume we should have asked natalie about it yeah we should have i didn't think about that but yeah it, it and it gives off these vibes even if you are not actually aware of how symbolic a green apple is when you see somebody eating a green apple in movies it it automatically gives off those vibes because it's yeah. such a movie trope and it happens mm-hmm. so often in media. So yeah, that's my tangent about green apples. Um, <laughs> oh, also it's on Apple TV. Oh. So they're just like subliminally messaging yeah. their, <laughs> their uh, streaming placement on their, on their own show. <laughs> Apple TV, <laughs> green apples. Anyway. <laughs> it did make me want a green apple though when I was watching it. I do. I love green apples. So do I. Does that speak to our issues? Maybe. I don't know. Because I think I even said while watching it, "Ooh, I would love an apple, a green apple with peanut butter, a nice crisp green apple. Uh-huh. Sounds delicious." Anyway, so while they're eating these green apples and crunching, and they're talking about Jimmy's mom. Yes, and Larry asks, "What does your mommy work?" The mommy thing. Yes, um, like and Jimmy to, Jimmy corrects him. My mother, my mother works in a bar. Yeah, um, and yeah, it talks about how she works odd hours. Yes, and how his dad didn't really like that. And Larry says, 
asks if it's because she's fucking people at the right. bar. <laughs> and the line delivery. It's very blunt. Yeah, from Jimmy. <laughs> fucking beg your pardon? Right. <laughs> it's, so, it's so good. Like, ex- what did you just say about right. my mother? I mean, it's true, but don't right. say it. Only I'm allowed to say that stuff. Yeah. I did notice, like, when he's telling, at this point, he starts telling the story of his mom and dad. And he's looking off into the distance, like he's reminiscing about it, but also trying to figure out what he should say to relate to Larry. Because he knows he's got to tell this story, but he can't necessarily tell it 100% factual because Mm -hmm. he needs to relate it somehow to Larry. So he's you can tell he's looking off into the distance. Yeah, he tries to be really, really thoughtful. And this at this point, Larry asks him to tell him something true. Mm hmm. And and I'm wondering if Larry was just kind of picking up on the fact that Jimmy was trying to be really careful about right. what he was saying. He was like, tell, tell me the truth. Like, you're right. telling stories at this point, which there might be some truth to them. But I think, you know, it speaks to how smart Larry is. Right. Well, I think it kind of hit home more to Jimmy. Like, okay, I need to step up my game. It's not, I'm not just talking. I have to actually, like, be honest, but be honest enough that, he can relate to it like don't be a hundred percent truthful but, but really he has to be trying. deliberate in what he says and how he says it yeah and and larry's suspicious of jimmy it's more more of him being suspicious and that keeps going through this episode yes and when when larry does say that jimmy's breath is kind of like mm-hmm. he's like like he's shaking and he like he's nervous yeah. he's like okay i really yeah like you said mm-hmm. like you really need to play the game yeah and so he starts opening up about his mom's boyfriend, Glenn. Mm-hmm. Glenn, he says it with disgust. Yeah. Um, who's abusive to him and his brother right. and, and his mother. And and Jimmy talks about needing to get old enough and strong enough to mm-hmm. defend his mother from this right. guy. He's taken karate and all of these, you yeah, know, he kind of working out. He takes it on himself, or at least that's what he's telling Larry that he is doing mm-hmm. it's, it's his choice he's taking it on himself and um when he does feel like he's finally old enough he's like 14 yeah 14 years old mm-hmm. he takes an opportunity glenn hits his mother and jimmy jumps in but he gets beaten badly mm-hmm. and larry actually even says like did you beat him like did you yeah. take him jimmy's like no he yeah. he paints the kitchen with me or something that he says yeah so he ends up with think- seeing larry's face at that point like oh jimmy's not this you know god-like person yeah he's not this perfect superhero guy but he was a kid it kind of helps relate larry more to jimmy yeah and and then they talk about how his mom and glenn would have sex on the other Mm -hmm. side of the wall and like I can keep talking about it constantly, but the way that Taryn portrayed this like emotion in the mm-hmm. scene and how he was like, it it really hurt him, and just thinking back on it was painful. Yeah, you could see it in his eyes, like, and yeah. you could see the the pain, like trying to remember it, but also the pain in realizing like that Larry's getting joy out of hearing this type of a thing, like. Yeah. He's the the realization of how deep and dark Larry is 
is you can feel that on Taryn's face as he's yeah acting. and I think yeah part of it is like Jimmy is realizing how much he can actually relate mm-hmm. to to Larry yeah which is disturbing enough on yeah. its own yeah and Larry even kind of pushes it more you know because Jimmy's talking about how he got beat up and his, mm-hmm. his nose is broken his ribs are broken and Larry says that wasn't what hurt and Jimmy's like well yeah it did hurt but <laughs> it did hurt but yeah, just the pain conveyed on Jimmy's face in this scene was Yeah. And then Larry like realizing like, no, that's not why you were so upset. You were so yeah. upset because it hurt your heart. Right. This is your mom and Yeah. And then so yeah, and then it cuts to like a teenage Jimmy and mm-hmm. his mom talking in his room and Jimmy's, you know, all bloodied up and yeah. his mom tells him that he got what he was asking for. Mm-hmm. And that she wants him to try again. Right. When he's ready. And he's so hurt and sad. It's, um, yeah, this is another scene that really, like, yeah, emotionally, it was, it's, it was it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So teenage Jimmy is played by Braxton Alexander. And then his mom is played by Kylie Cassiano Davis. And they're, yeah. They're really, really good. good. Yeah, really good. The scene was so good. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm really like thinking <laughs> back on intense. it. Like, yeah. And then is this when Larry starts saying like, "Did you want to kill her or did you want to hurt her?" Yeah. So they're like in this hallway. I don't know mm-hmm. if they're cleaning in the hallway or yeah, putting stuff away maybe. Yeah. And they end up talking about how Jimmy's Jimmy wanted to kill his mom at some points, and it leads to talking about women in general and how larry larry tells jimmy again he's he's being very open even though he's being suspicious of jimmy he's telling him all these things and he tells jimmy literally that he keeps starter fluid in his van to knock out women and strangle them so that they'll stop hitting him yeah which is another disturbing and he says they and jimmy's like who's they because like he i think jimmy's like is there more than one like let me try to get this out of him yeah, because, yeah, ultimately his goal is supposed to be learning where a body is buried. Mm-hmm. So pushing to him him talking specifically about somebody is a good right. step. But he doesn't get specific. No, he just when he says who's they, they just he just says women. Just, yeah. And then to get them to stop screaming or hitting, hitting? Yeah, Hit, yeah. So they stop hitting him. And um, you can tell that. Jimmy's having a hard time hearing this. Like, it's, yeah. I mean, I had a hard time this hearing is, it. I mean, but... yeah, it's hard to even talk about, really. I, I'm having a hard time talking yeah. about it. Like, my notes actually stopped kind of there because it was so, <laughs> like, deep. Yeah. It's it's hard. Yeah. After that point, though, um, Larry asks Jimmy what he does with mm-hmm. the girls that he meets. Yeah. So it cuts back to Jimmy in a bar with Rochelle again, like in the mm-hmm. first episode. And I, this is where it really clicks, where Jimmy is, basically dates his mom. Mm-hmm. Like th- this Rochelle woman looks very similar yeah. to what his mom looks like, you know, just like this dark haired Italian looking girl. Mm-hmm. And, and it's it also flashing it, a bunch of girls. Yeah. And they all kind of have similar features. Yeah. It's very 80s. too. Yes. <laughs> like even his outfit, his blue vest thing and <laughs> it's a good hair. look though yeah, it is 
yeah the but his hair yeah, yeah. Even the women hair, I mean, if you lived in the 80s and early 90s, that's what it looked like. And uh, and yeah, so we flash back to another Terran's emotionless face while he's having sex with Rochelle mm-hmm. on the couch the night before his house gets raided. Yeah. So it's another flash of that scene. I do have to say, during to bring some levity to it, uh, I love when he has eye crinkles when he smiles so much he gets like the little ring crow's feet i call them eye crinkles around his eyes and he makes a smile in the bar scene where he has eye crinkles and it made me smile (laughs) we love heron's face and the things that it does (laughs) to bring a little bit of levity to the deep scenes that we're having yeah it's nice this episode is so heavy yeah and um at the end of the day, after all this talking, Jimmy and Larry are back in their cells. Jimmy's doing some push-ups. He probably didn't get a lot of time to, to get some workouts yeah. in today, so he's doing push-ups in his cell. and Has his feet in the toilet, which is gross. Yeah. I know, great. I know he's in jail, and it doesn't matter. but Yeah, he doesn't have a choice. That's the angle that he can do push-ups in, so he has to which, put his feet up there. Kudos for being able to do that, because that's... He held that plank for a really long time. Right, because Larry's, Larry's talking to him and he tells him, like, hey, today was a really fun day, yeah. which is wild, yeah. a wild thing to say about this day. But to Larry, he's he bonded with his yeah, friends, so friend, it was fun yeah. for him. And he got Stephanie to do a bunch of friend. cleaning, yeah. which is in his element. But I wonder if he held that plank the whole that whole time. Because <laughs> that was a, like, that was hard. I mean, if you've ever held a plank for a very long time, that's. Yeah. With your feet up, especially, too, that's even harder. Yeah, because all your weight's on your shoulders and hands. Yeah. Probably not what I was supposed to be focused on. (laughs) Listen, we are focusing on the entirety of the show. Every aspect of it. Brilliant (laughs) acting. So we cut back to young Larry in the graveyard climbing out after having uh, gathered all of these items. And this is more bird stuff Mm -hmm. larry asks about the birds that have been lurking kind of throughout this whole night and his dad tells him that they're falcons yeah and that falcons watch over the dead it's the blackbird that's the blackbird is a falcon this is the falcon's tail is what this is but i wonder if that's the symbolism yeah definitely part of it yeah and young larry jumps back into the grave and (laughs) finds the finger that he just cut off of this corpse and is like disgustingly excited about it yeah it was gross um another it's a it's a young serial killer laugh again too little little chuckle um and then the last scene (laughs) here's the thing about the last scene uh gary is visiting larry in prison his twin brother is visiting him and Do you remember what they talked about or anything about this scene? Because I was too busy looking at Jake McLaughlin. (laughs) His eyes, so beautiful. Yeah. Like unnaturally handsome, this guy. Yeah. And they were, they were like sparkly. I don't know if it's because it was in such contrast to Larry's eyes being almost closed so that you couldn't really see. I don't know if the the lighting, Natalie lit the scene beautifully. (laughs) Yeah. I, I don't know, but his eyes were like and he diamonds. has really long brown yes. eyelashes, and he was tan, too. Total opposite to Larry. <laughs> it was hard for me to pay attention. But they were talking about a road trip that they went on. Well, yeah. So I, th- I think Larry tells Gary about the riot and how it was scary. <clears throat> yes. And 
yeah, they talk about some road trip to California that they took and they were trying to think of the name of the woman that they picked up, which is the, that's the episode title. What's her name? Yeah. They couldn't. Larry kept saying names and Gary's like, yeah. we don't know her name. That's not her name. We never knew yeah. her name. But Larry won't let it go. Like he just keeps saying names over yeah. and over again. Gary's trying to talk to him. He's like, the police have been at the house. This is what yeah. happened. And Larry's like, her name is Sharon, yeah. which it is. That's right. the name. Gary's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, it was Sharon. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> After protesting that they yeah. didn't know the name. But it was kind of, he kind of gave like a, a weird smirk. Like I kind of picked up on that. Like, hmm, wonder what's going mm. on there. Yeah. This Gary Larry thing. It, it was so hard for me to pay attention. I'm like, how is this guy so pretty right now? Even with a mullet and like yeah. a ratty baseball cap. Yeah, I, his just eyes were beautiful. <laughs> Very handsome in a redneck sort of way. But yeah. <laughs> Thank goodness he doesn't look like that in real life. Yes. <laughs> He's a very nice looking man. Mm-hmm. Um, but but this is also Gary is telling Larry that the police are so adamant about being on his case and they're they're yeah. visiting and it clues Larry into the fact that the police think that he right. is going to get out. Right. And so that kind of is giving Gary and Larry hope at right. the end of this episode, which is freaky, kind of, to think about. Because they kind of speak like, well, when you get out. Right. That also happened. See, I did not take good notes for this scene. I was too busy looking at him. But he talks about how Larry looks good and that he mm-hmm. he's put on some weight, which is a right. good thing. And Larry's like, girls don't like fat guys. And right. Gary's trying to talk him up and, you know, be his pal and really say, like, no, you look good, bud. Yeah. They have hope. You have, you know, you're going to get out and you're going to do well. And Yeah. But that is that's how the episode ends. Yep. With this note of hope for Larry, which is crazy. Yeah. It's one of those like it ended and you're like, oh, I-, I want to know what happens next. But I also that was a lot to take in. So much. And so I yeah. Need to, like, I mean, it was hard. There's a lot of hard stuff, especially mm-hmm. in this episode that. Yeah. Sorry if I'm like <laughs> I found it hard to, to talk about. Yeah. Especially towards the end, like the last conversations that Larry and Jimmy have. Yeah. Like those, the the graphic detail of what Larry did to the women and that kind of stuff. That was, it was deep. Yeah. You need this six days to kind of <laughs> get it out of your head. And to then, process it. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's a lot. This was a heavy episode. And from what we have heard, episode five is also going to be intense. Yes. Yeah. Speaking of that, now we have a very special treat for you guys because we talked to Natalie Kingston all about her journey with Blackbird and she was amazing. Insight. Yeah. She kind of gave some technical sides of things of how they shot things and some fun stories about different scenes. Yes. She had a lot of cool stuff to, to talk about with us and so we're gonna play that for you so enjoy our talk with natalie kingston thank you for being here we have so many questions for you (laughs) my pleasure yeah so i think just to get started what i know you probably answered this before in a lot of other interviews so feel free to be as broad or keep it short and sweet as you want but what what first got you into being a cinematographer 
Well, let's see. It's it's <laughs> there's a short version and a long version. Um, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I mean, it it was a winding path. You know, it wasn't it wasn't a straight shot into cinematography. Um, from early on, like when I was a kid, like ten years old, I got my hands on my parents' video camera. It was mm. like VHS style, and that that sort of was the first seed planted. I would make like little movies, you know, would, I would check out books from the library, like stage play books and oh. convert them into little films. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I just became infatuated with that, you know, I, the idea of just telling a story with a camera. And of course, at that time, I didn't know what a cinematographer was. I grew up in South Louisiana, so very removed at the time from the film mm-hmm. industry, you know, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that, that idea just sort of stuck with me and it was kind of fixated on working in film or being a filmmaker, something behind the camera, you know, maybe at the time I thought I was a director, I don't know, but, um, you know, fast forward to, um, after college, um, I, I started working at a TV station few years after college it was you know I had to I took other jobs after college just trying to like find my way trying to figure out how to get in this industry yeah did you go to college for for film or for no so I um I did not there wasn't a film program at my college at the time the closest thing I could find was mass communications so that was sort of like more like broadcast it was more like broad you know there were some film classes but there were tv like broadcasting audio writing so um wasn't really film focused so yeah I guess I don't know like three or so years four years after college I got this job at a at a small tv station in south Louisiana um and my first job there was in <laughs> in sales and and that and I knew I didn't want to do that, but it was like it was my foot in the door yeah, there. Yeah. If I could at least get my foot in the door, then I could figure out how to get into production. And so that's what I did. I didn't really make a sale, but um a job opened up shortly after I started in production. And um eventually I got this this little TV show there. It was like documentary style and um I, I had total creative freedom of it. I would like go around and find interesting people in the area and do a, a little film on them, whatever they did in life, whether they were like an artist or, you know, a, a crawfish former or whatever. And so I shot it, I edited it, I produced it, directed it, did everything. <laughs> um, but that was kind of like more or less like, I look at it kind of like as a film school because, you know, it was, it was really where I learned how to operate a camera learned how to edit, Mm -hmm. um, really learned how to like, how to craft a story, you know? And then I started freelancing kind of on the side as a camera operator, I would do live sports. So like high school and college football, (laughs) camera operating. (laughs) And I really got good at operating, you know, following (laughs) the ball. And (laughs) um, so I did that. And then eventually that, that sort of led to me getting my first film set and I worked as a camera assistant. Um, and that's when I really understood that there was a position of a cinematographer. And I got to see like firsthand what that person did. And that's kind of when the light bulb went on. I'm like, oh, 
yeah, that's, that's what I want to do. So I had a, a clear direction at that point. Mm-hmm. And then I just pursued it from there, you know, worked as a camera assistant for a while. And then I even went back and worked in editorial as an assistant editor. I shot like EPKs um, for different films. And then I started, you know, shooting short films with my friends where I was the DP and then, and then got serious about just strictly DPing and then um, started to focus on that and build up my work slowly, but surely. And then, you know, one job leads to another. Um, Yeah. And so how did you end up with, uh, with Blackbird specifically? Yeah. So Blackbird kind of came to me out of the blue. (laughs) Um, Literally like my agent sent me the scripts and um, immediately, like even based off the log line, I'm like, Oh yes, this is something I want to do. And the scripts were just so riveting and just an amazing read. And I was, you know, all in and had my first interview was with Mikhail Roskam, the director of the first three episodes and Mm. we hit it off right away. And then, spoke to Dennis and the producers and um, it all happened really, really fast. And then the next week I was on a plane <laughs> to back home to Louisiana because mm-hmm. we shot in New Orleans and um, yeah. And then we we're all of a sudden in prep. <laughs> wow. wow. That happened real fast. <laughs> yeah. Really, really fast. It was it nice to be back home for, for yeah. filming for Blackbird and yeah. Yeah, it was because I, I lived in New Orleans for a while before, um, moving here to LA. So it's, you know, it's home and it, you know, I got to hire a lot of my crew who I've been working with for a long time, you know, my long time first AC, Tweety Francis, and I have been working together over 10 years. And, oh, wow. you know, he, he lives there and um, a good friend, Matt Bell, who is my B camera operator is there and yeah. And, and a bunch of other people in the crew. So it's nice to have familiar faces and, you know, I have family who still live there. So it's nice to, to be close to them. Right on. Um, we don't often see a lot of women cinematographers or DPs in the industry. Do you feel, um, like they, they're lacking the recognition or that they there's sort of a pressure to be on top of your game so you get that recognition? I mean, I think there's definitely more of us now than ever. Mm-hmm. And, and the numbers are definitely growing very fast that, you know, than even to when I first started, you know, it's more and more women are realizing that being a cinematographer is, is an option. You know, it's mm-hmm. not just a boys club. I think it still is more of a boys club, you know, it's definitely more males. And, and yeah, and I think there is to some degree for sure, women have to work harder to, you know, we have to prove ourselves Mm -hmm. just because we still aren't the norm, the face of, of what a DP looks like. And so, Yeah. yeah, to some degree there is, there is that having to prove ourselves and, you know, having to show people that we know what we're doing, but, but it is exciting that we are in a time where it's, you know, an actual um, career option for women. You know, it's not like totally off limits or just, right. you know, um, inconceivable, you know, yeah. and, um, so many women before me have inspired me to, you know, to become a DP and to, and to know like, okay, this is, you know, women can do this and you can be feminine or you can, you know, people can take you seriously. Mm -hmm. 
So I know that a lot of your work prior to this is like documentaries and like, yeah, like you said um, in the beginning, you did a lot of like filming real people. And do you do you think working in, in that kind of stuff kind of led to how authentic you approached this as far as like how it's like a true story? Did that kind of affect it in any way? Um. I mean, I think my documentary background, because yeah, that was a lot of my, in the beginning, I, I did a lot of doc work mm-hmm. and, and that definitely informs how I light, how I approach just shooting in general, you know, um, of just seeing like what's going on naturally in a space and, and lighting wise and building off of that. And it, it, that's where I always start, you know, so you know, a lot of times I approach lighting and just taking away the light that's there and shaping it and, you know, sculpting it that way. Yeah. So, yeah. I think it definitely has informed my work overall. Yeah. It just, they, there's this like authenticity of like, you just kind of feel like it's a real place and you're really sort of in it. Yeah. So mm. good. Good. <laughs> uh, you were speaking about light and I've made this comment on our podcast before. Um, in, t- in a lot of things in today's TV movies, when it's a dark type subject, everything is so dark and you can barely make out the actors or the details in the scene. But mm-hmm. Blackbird is so beautifully lit. Um, it just makes the scenes so much more authentic. And so I just mm-hmm. want to commend you on that because it's it's so beautifully lit and you don't have that struggle to kind of see where the actors are or what they're doing you're not distracted by the darkness, but it still okay. feels that heavy material, but mm-hmm. it's beautifully mm-hmm. lit. So I just want to say yeah. that you did Thank an you amazing so job. <laughs> it was one of the first things I've noticed um, while watching it was how well it's lit and shot and the angles and everything. Thank you. Yeah. The, I mean, the goal is to never, never distract. Like I never want to distract an audience with, with the cinematography. It's just supposed to blend in and feel like what's naturally there. Yeah. You know, but there is a lot of light, a lot of shaping of light going on. And yeah, so it's it's always, that's always what I'm aiming to do, you know, in every situation. Well, you did a great job so far in the first four episodes. <laughs> yeah, you. it's beautiful. It's, it's very pleasing to watch. Mm-hmm. So what was it like filming in like this, this real prison that you guys were filming in? Was that, was it hard to kind of, to light it and, and capture Mm-hmm. All the, you know, everything feels very intimate and yeah. close up. Was that, was that a solution to a problem or was that something that you were going for originally? Yeah. So yes, um, the, the prison was very challenging to shoot in because it's a real prison. It's not operating anymore, but um, it, it is a real location. And so that came with a lot of, um, a lot of constraints. So you know, for example, like the the fluorescent lighting fixtures mm-hmm. that are already there, you know, they're like heavily bolted in the ceilings. They're outside of like every, every two cells, I think has one in the middle. And, you know, I wanted to use those. So the bulbs were all changed out. So they match, you know, all the same color temperature. Um, but I couldn't go in and like isolate each fixture like I would have like on a stage. So if this was mm-hmm. built, I could isolate, you know, like fixture number five, six, seven, eight, turn those off, keep the, the you know, nine to 11 on or whatever. And so I didn't have individual control. It was just to switch all of them were on and all of them were off. 
So, you know, we had to find workarounds. And, you know, for that, we, the grips made, um, they cut out different um, gels, like ND gels and diffusions and solids that we could, we could um, attach to the fixtures with a magnet, a really industrial magnet. So we could control them that way one by one. And that was very time consuming, you know, because mm-hmm. usually all, all the lights would be like on a dimmer board. And so we'd just be run through, you know, a switcher or an iPad. It'd be very easy. So that, you know, is, yeah, time consuming for all the grips to go to each individual light, you know, because it was just, it would take too long to unscrew each fixture. Mm-hmm. So that's how we control those. Um, and then, you know, I would augment those from there with, with our fixtures shooting inside the cells they were very small as you can imagine yeah and they're white walls and uh, which we painted like it was like off-white because that's what they would have been and the outsides were like pinks and greens and blues like pastel colors Mm -hmm. but yeah the cells were tiny so like you know again if we were on a stage then we could fly out walls and just get whatever angles so that wasn't the case there so we had to the art department made us a camera portal on one of the walls of each on Larry cell and then Jimmy cell. And that was maybe like four by six. And so we could get a camera through that was on a, a small jib arm, mm-hmm. which was still tricky to just maneuver in there because the, the, the sliding like bar doors, you know, wouldn't come off. Like we'd have to slide those open. It's just that, that entry, small entryway. Mm. So, and then to remove that portal so we could get the camera in there, that, that took time. So we'd really have to plan that out when we would shoot that one particular angle. And then just maneuvering the camera inside the, the cells themselves, you know, was, was really tricky. And then you mentioned the, the intimacy. You know, this, is a, this isn't a real plot-driven series. I mean, yes, there is the, the, the plot that's going on throughout but it's it's really character driven and that's what really drew me to this story in the first place and so the goal was always to keep it very intimate and with within the conversations of Jimmy and Larry and never to feel like we're an outsider looking in but to get you know very subjective with the characters and to keep the camera physically close uh, to them many of the times, you know, much of the time within their, those dialogue scenes. Yeah. So that, that was the idea behind that. Yeah. That, that definitely comes across. I think one of the, the most compelling parts about the show is how just the connections between all these different pairs of characters that have all of these scenes together, you know, between either between Ray Liotta and Taryn Edgerton or between, you know, Paul and Taryn or between, um, CO Carter and yeah. Jimmy, you know, all these like pairs of characters and just their connections. So, yeah. And it feels like you are a fly on the wall watching mm-hmm. them and not removed from the situation. Like, so it feels that intimate exactly. feeling. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah. That was the idea of like not, you know, not going on longer lenses and going physically further back mm-hmm. from the actors. You know, we wanted to physically be be close and with them. So you felt like it, what it was like being inside that small cell or being mm-hmm. inside the reading room in the prison or where, or, or even, you know, in the, the larger visiting room of the prison with big Jim, but feeling like intimate and mm-hmm. inside that conversation because they, you know, they're talking secretly. The guards aren't supposed to hear, you know, what they're talking about is just, 
is just, you know, secretive between them. And, you know, and, and everything is like, you know, Jimmy's trying not to get caught. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of this is very internal, very, yeah, very intimate. And Yeah, I've, I've noticed like, especially with with Larry Hall's bits, like everything is very quiet, like he's barely yeah. talking above a whisper sometimes. And so you, you really yeah. feel like you're drawn into it. Yeah. And yeah, you just feel right there. Yeah. Yeah. And we wanted to keep create that feeling of where you as the viewer would, would, would have that feeling of just leaning in Mm -hmm. on the edge of your seat. Absolutely. Yeah. Because even in like the large, um, in like the cafeteria, when it's Mm -hmm. just them talking at a table, you feel like you're sitting at the table where you're not supposed to. Yeah. And it feels so large, like it's so cavernous with the empty you know, cafeteria, but you yeah. feel like you're sitting right at the edge of the table, leaning in, listening. So yeah. great. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. Um, so we've talked to a few people who've worked on the show. Um, we talked with Joe Williamson, who plays CEO Carter, and he's, he's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and he told us about working with, with Taryn Edgerton, but mostly on the acting side and just said, mm-hmm. you know, he was amazing to work with, but I'm wondering about about your relationship with Taryn and maybe what what he brought to you as far as being on the executive producer side of things. Taryn, Taryn's incredible. He's an <laughs> incredible person and obviously just such an immensely talented actor. And he is from day one of him on set, he was just immediately connected with the camera and what was going on behind the camera and, and appreciates respects and understands the craft of the camera and will work, you know, with, with the camera and lighting because he, he understand, understands that it's a symphony, you know, so he's, he's very, he can be, you know, pretty technical and, you know, hit all his marks and, you know, get into the perfect light. And he, he, he can, you know, he understands light and understands where I'm sure he feels it, you know, I don't know, you know, I'm sure it's like, he can, he just has that appreciation for that. So it was, it was very easy to work with him in, in that aspect and in all aspects, really. Um, You know, he would, he would just, you know, do things, you know, if we had a, complicated camera move you know it, it was definitely collaboration with him and you know hitting the certain marks or looking a certain way at the end of a camera move or pushing whatever it was you know to make sure you know every aspect was coming together to accomplish what we needed to um so yeah it was it, it was lovely <laughs> oh that's awesome we're big fans of Taryn around yes. here yeah <laughs> it's hard not to be right <laughs> So this limited series format, I wanted to talk about a little bit because it's very, it's different from like a feature or like a regular show. And I'm wondering how you approached it as far as like, did you work it as if it was just like a movie shoot or did, you know, just drawn out a bit more or um, like, yeah, how how was it different from like a typical feature? That's kind of exactly how we approached it. I mean, obviously there are differences with TV and film, but but the approach was like one big movie and um, Mikel, the first director and I just really, you know, looked at it that way. And, and that was our plan to, um, to treat it like a film. Um, and, and we block shot, you know, meaning we shot everything all at once out of order. So it wasn't, we didn't shoot episodes at a time. Mm-hmm. 
you know, which is a lot, you know, six one hour episodes, you know, in, in one chunk, <laughs> just keeping, you know, I think that's, that's a big difference between a feature is, you know, in a feature you're keeping, you know, one, two hour, one and a half hour movie in your head. And this, you know, you have so much more. Yeah. So it was, it was about kind of breaking in it. You know, it was just impossible to keep all six episodes in your head at, at you know, any given time. So it was kind of like just mentally just breaking it up, you know, chunk by chunk and, and focusing on what was, what was humanly possible to focus on, you know, at, at, um, during those chunks of time, because you can't possibly prep for the whole thing at the beginning. You know, I actually mm-hmm. only had five weeks of prep and wow. the, oh, wow. the entire thing. Yeah. And there, there was a break in between. So the shoot, it was 95 days and it was you know divided in half. So at that halfway mark that were, there was a week where, where we all prepped um, for the remaining half of the shoot. Um, and that's where Jim McKay, who directed the fourth episode came in and it worked out that most of the, f- most of four, five and six were in the second half. We did shoot some of, a four, five, and six in the first half, um, but not a lot. So it did sort of kind of divide itself up like that. And we wanted to save like really heavy scenes from five and six towards the end of the shoot, you know, that were, you know, 10 page dialogue scenes, very emotional for the actors, but like that was strategic and saving mm-hmm. those for um, the end. But um, yeah, and then from, you know, a feature. You, you only have the director and TV, you have a showrunner and um, that aspect of it all. So the showrunner, you know, Dennis is very obviously, you know, he wrote all the scripts. He's, it's a huge creative collaborator. Um, whereas mm-hmm. I'm used to just collaborating with the director, but it's, you know, it's two people now, a director and showrunner. Yeah. So that, that was a, a difference. Um and then you're just, you know, you're shooting a lot more than you are in a, in a film there, you know, there's just a lot more content that you, that you have to get. Right. Yeah. When you were speaking about the collaboration, did you, um, in your short prep time, did you get to sit down with Dennis and the directors and kind of storyboard what everyone's vision was so that you knew going into it kind of where it was going? Yeah, we definitely sat down and had lots of discussions. The the whole series was not storyboarded. There were particular scenes, more complex scenes that were storyboarded. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, yeah, we sat down and shot listed regularly. Um, mm-hmm. It was impossible to shot list the whole, the whole right. thing beforehand. So we did, you know, we took like the first chunk, you know, the first three weeks or whatever, shot listed that. And then during the shoot, we'd meet on the weekends and shot list what was upcoming that, that following week. So it was a lot of work, you know, I didn't have much time off. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So, but it, you know, it was, yeah, it was like usually Sundays, me and the director would just sit down, look at um, what was coming up, make a game plan, um, maybe even try to think ahead for the following week if anything complicated, you know, was coming up that required special equipment or or anything like that. Um, um, I wanted to ask a, a bit about the having multiple directors on this series because you said you know, it wasn't all filmed chronologically, and so what? Where is there some like switching back and forth between? 
filming things with different directors? Did they like come in for scenes that were going to be in their episodes or how, how did that kind of work? Yeah. Like I said, it mostly worked out. So Jim did, did four and then, um, and then it kind of worked out where um, Joe Chappelle, the last director was able to do five and six. So it pretty much divided up itself that way. So okay. it, it worked out where, yeah, Mikhail was able to do one, two, and three. And, and there were kind of rim, bits and pieces that we did at the beginning. But yeah, more or less, it, it yeah divided up evenly that way. Okay, cool. There's this scene in episode one with Jessica Roach, like on her bicycle. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very cool shot where it, I, like the camera kind of goes up and out as she's like riding her bike away. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a really cool scene visually. So um, can you tell us kind of how how that happened? Like how you did that scene specifically? Yeah. So that um, that was a number of tools, maybe three different tools that we used for that sequence. Um, we use a techno crane to, to do the, the push in and then the, the rise up. And then the shot, the tracking shot, on profile to her feet pedaling that was a steady cam with a gyro and my steady cam operator was sitting on a grip tricks so um operating from a grip tricks and then maybe it was only two tools yeah just just those two i don't think it was three and and that that was on day 95 the last day oh, wow. of the shoot. But the, I have a story about that. So that we were supposed to get that on day three, that whole <laughs> sequence, the opening of the, the series, right? But day three was, there was a lot of work scheduled and and we also didn't get a great sunset. I think it might've started, it was like overcast. So we just didn't get to it. So the plan was always to go back uh, to this location, which was like an hour, hour and a half away from New Orleans, like from where our main locations were. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it kept getting pushed like throughout the schedule because it was just, it was so hard to to schedule because it was an hour and a half away. So, you know, we, all of our work was in the city and it just never made sense. We just like, couldn't fit it in. And then, so it finally, you know, we're towards the end of the shoot and, and the editors are cutting, you know, as we're shooting. And so they had a, an assembly of episode one. And as a placeholder for, holder for the opening, they used some footage um, for some other, from some other stuff that we shot with Jessica Roach. And, um, and it worked, um, but it just, it wasn't, you know, a strong, powerful opening like it is now. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it just, it was a placeholder. That's what it was, you know, was that footage was never t- intended to be the opening. And, you know, and, and some people are like, oh, you know, it works. We can get away with it. And I never felt that it did. So I, I kept pushing for us to shoot it and to make it happen. And because um, yeah. I just knew we had to get it because I knew it'd be a game changer if we got what we set out to do, what mm-hmm. we intended from the beginning. And if we got the sunset and we got our crane out there and, and did it properly. So we were finally able to schedule it, like I said, on the last day. I think that was, we had to go out there and shoot an insert of the, the tracking shot in um, in episode one, where Greg Kinnear goes to the, the cornfield and discovers a dead body. 
um, that tracking shot along mm-hmm. the feet that we had to do that. So we did out there and then, and then we did all of the, uh, the bike stuff with her. Yeah. So we were able to fit it in. We had a beautiful sunset that mm-hmm. evening and, and everyone was just so excited that, you know, that we, we got to make it work and yeah. got what we intended. It's, yeah. it's definitely it's a powerful thing, scene. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that you didn't settle. <laughs> yeah, I, I knew we couldn't settle. I mean, it's it's the opening of it of the whole series. You know, it couldn't fall flat. We just we had to do it right. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, it really sets the tone for the show and how it's about really Jimmy's connection to Jessica mm-hmm. Roach through Larry Hall. So it was really, it really pushed that importance on us. I think great. So it was great. very cool. I'm glad you felt yeah. it. Yeah, yes, it was worth it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so what, what was your favorite part of just the project overall? Do you have like a favorite moment or a favorite scene that you shot or? Yeah, there's so many. Um, one of my (laughs) favorites you haven't seen yet, um, in episode five, I can't talk too much about it because I don't want to spoil it. Yeah. (laughs) It's a long scene. I'll say that. (laughs) Yeah. I think if I say anything, it'll spoil things. So. Uh, we can maybe follow up and talk about it after. Yeah, we'll be um, sure. It, it was a fun one, just because that that it, so many things had to happen. There were lighting cues. There, you know, there was. It's a long camera movement. It's a really long push in. So the dolly grip it had to be on point, and it had to be in sync with the dialogue. It had to end at a at the perfect time. And so that's always fun, you know, the, those orchestral type, you know, mm-hmm. shots and where everyone's just, you know, has to be completely on point. Yeah. And it was, it was just very thrilling when we pulled it off and we knew we got it. Yeah. I remember Taryn was so stoked. He came up to me after, you know, the director called cut and just gave me a big hug. It just, <laughs> you know, we felt, it was that palpable energy in the room yeah. where we just we just felt like we just captured some magic. Um, so that yeah. was probably like definitely up there. There's another one that we haven't, you'll see soon. <laughs> um, Lots of big things happening in the next couple episodes. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a scene in one of the cells. I'll just say that, but just the way it was blocked and the dialogue, I mean, the dialogue across the board is, is mm-hmm. just fantastic. Dennis Lehane is so extremely talented and um yeah so that scene let me think about one that we've already seen let's see and the the cornfield scene it it, that was one of the hottest days of the shoot like you know in in south louisiana and i think that was in july or august and yeah who picked the timing for this (laughs) peak humidity just hurricane season yeah hurricane season oh my god yeah um the cornfield stuff was brutal that was absolutely brutal but i think you know one of those uh techno crane shots that we got when um when they're entering when greg and the sheriff are entering uh, the cornfield, they get out the car and then we bring them in and rise up as they're walking towards the uh, Jessica's body. That was a fun one to do. And then just, you know, just the intimate dialogue scenes are just, you know, it's just so inspiring working with such talented actors, like across the board. Um, yeah. I, it's just, you know, I just feel so lucky to be able to to be the one 
you know, behind the camera capturing this all and, and, and watching their, you know, incredible performances every day was just such a, a treat. And I just remember like on our last day, just thinking, God, you know, as hard as this, you know, our jobs are and our, 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 as hard as, you know, the shoot got, I still, it's still so rewarding, you know, getting to work with talented people like this and, and tell this story, you know? Yeah. So that, that was just, just cool to witness, you know, what they did with, with each character. Is it cool now? Are you watching it live now as it's airing or? Yeah, I am. Yeah. Cause I cool haven't kind of see how it's all been put together and. Yeah. I mean, I was a part of the color grade, so I saw all of the finals and, um, but we we finished the grades in maybe that was March April so it's been a minute since I've mm-hmm. seen everything um, and it's still hard to be completely objective I think right. that it takes a while you know to be removed completely from a project to not pick apart your own work and see all your mistakes or whatever <laughs> but no that's it's yeah it's just it's been fun every friday watching them you know with as they come out you know as an audience member and yeah and i think yeah the the editing has been fantastic um across the board yeah it's so it's so well put together it feels very yeah the editing is very seamless and you know there's a lot of like jumping back and forth between Mm -hmm. like you know the two different stories of like larry and jimmy in the beginning and then now Mm -hmm. in the most recent episode with going back to like their childhoods right, and back yeah. to the present but it's uh, it doesn't feel like you're bouncing back and forth no. it feels just kind of part of the story it's really yeah, the it's transitions really well are done. very smooth yeah yeah they did a great job mm-hmm. it's so good yeah yeah is there anything else that you want to tell us about blackbird i was going to ask what's next for you but is there anything blackbird specific that you want to talk about or um that you want to say to people who are watching the show <laughs> Yeah, just keep watching it. it, it <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I think, yeah, two episodes left. So thanks to everybody who's been watching and, and thanks to everyone who will binge, I guess, when they're all out. But yeah, five <laughs> and six are definitely two of my favorite episodes. And it, three was also one of my favorites. Three, three is my favorite so far too. Really? I think. <laughs> three is your favorite? Yeah. Cool. I don't know. That riot scene from uh, last night's episode was. Did you like it? Yeah. Yeah. That was, I, I was, I don't know that I breathed the entire time between the music and what was happening. Yeah. I was, I just couldn't, I was stunned the whole time. Yeah. Um, it was just, yeah, it was just cool. You know, it was my first TV series that I shot so it was just a really amazing opportunity to get to come in and shoot the whole thing. And, you know, because usually a lot of times you have multiple DPs mm-hmm. who alternate episodes. And so for my first time, it's a pretty rare thing. Um, so I feel very fortunate to have had that opportunity to create the look and maintain it throughout the whole series. So that that was really exciting. And I'm really proud of what what we did all together it was just an amazing team. I had just a phenomenal crew behind me and, you know, I'm nothing without them, but they, they all are just super pro and brought their A game every single day. So I'm so grateful for that. Yeah. And then what's next? I am currently uh, shooting some commercials and reading scripts and just, um, yeah, just waiting for the next right thing to come mm-hmm. my way. 
um, whether that's a film or a series. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be hard to follow Blackbird probably, yeah, I'm sure. sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm very picky, very picky too. So um, yeah, <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, I mean, we'll be following you um, from here on out, I think too. For sure. So, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. Yes. We were so excited to talk to you today. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was so much fun. Thanks for yeah. doing the podcast. I'm excited to see yeah. who you have next. All right. Thank you, Natalie, for that awesome conversation. I hope everyone enjoyed listening to her. Um, It was a lot of fun to hear kind of the technical side of things and just a different point of view because last week we had Joe kind of giving the actor side of things. So it was cool to hear the process of Natalie and how things were set up and different technical things for filming. I love that. Not everybody does, but I do. So I was kind of silent the whole time because I was so (laughs) into it. I kept forgetting that I was supposed to be talking and not just listening to her speak, but I could have listened to her talk all day. Yeah, I I really like the behind the camera point of view that Mm -hmm. she gave us. It was really cool. So shout out to Natalie Kingston. We appreciate you. you so much. Thank you. I even said after we hung up to Sarah that I would love to just be a fly on the wall while she works just to kind of watch the process. I'm such a nerd with that. So I would love to just like hold a binder and sit there or hold a wire for a camera and just watch it all come together. Yeah. So Natalie, if you're listening, the next time you need a personal assistant or something, get up Kristen. Yes. I, I nerd out about it. I could just watch filming of anything, a show, a commercial, a movie. Um, I've been to a few sets, been very lucky and gotten to see a few things film and I love it. Like the director, I love watching what the actors choose to do. Um, I could talk about it all day long. (laughs) (laughs) That's why you have a podcast. Yeah. (laughs) Literally, I could talk about that stuff like camera setups and lighting and why an actor chose to do this instead of this or... Like I even go to a TV festival, so that's kind of shows you what I love. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. But yeah, I think that is going to do it for this episode. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening. Again, like we said at the top of the show, we appreciate everyone listening so far. It's been amazing. If uh, you want to talk to us, we want to hear from you. Yes. Follow us on our social media pages. We are at Devil Details Pod, both on Twitter and Instagram. And we look at those every single day. Yes. So hit us up. And thank you guys for sharing our posts and encouraging your followers to listen to us. It means a lot. You, you don't even know. Uh, yeah, it's it's really touching. And so, yeah, tell us what you think of the podcast. Tell us what you think of Blackbird. Tell us what you think about all of our awesome guests that we have so far. And we're not done with guests. We're not done with guests. Not not at all. So tell us who you think is going to be our next guest because we have another very awesome guest for next episode and tell us what you think of our annoying voices (laughs) tell us everything we want to hear everything about it uh what you have to say so check us out next week where we will talk about episode five of blackbird and it's supposed to be a good one because as you heard natalie's got a her favorite scene is in this episode five yes to be on the lookout we'll see how that goes we'll have to follow up with natalie about that later (laughs) (laughs) you can follow natalie on instagram by the way she is at natalie kingston 
And I'm so sorry we didn't have time to get to Taryn Edgerton today. <laughs> it just keeps happening. We keep running out of time. But uh, maybe next time we'll get them. Thank you guys for listening. Have a good week. Thank you. Bye.